Our scripture is there on the screen, and I'm reading um, uh, the scripture that you see there, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. Sorry, let me get all my stuff together here. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. And this is what the word of the Lord says. For there, I'm sorry, for, for those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so uh, th that is the, the reading for this morning. And um, we're looking at peace. Uh, Major Murphy talked about how we are now in the Lenten season. And uh, I hope you got all of your sinning done Tuesday and you repented on Ash Wednesday. You know, I did learn, and I, I don't know if someone told me here or if I heard it somewhere else, but in some churches, you know, like on, on Palm Sunday, when we use the palms, they will actually burn those and use the ashes for the next Ash Wednesday, which I thought was, was uh, very uh, interesting. Thank you for that missionary moment. Major Donna talked about the general, and just so you're aware, as I do my job here, uh, I am supposed to let you know that you need to pray uh, for this general, but also for the upcoming general. Uh, the High Council is a group of uh, high-ranking officers throughout the Salvation Army world that come together uh, to vote on the general. And his term, General Petal's term, is finished this spring, I believe, and uh, so we will have a new general uh, by the... I guess August, September, maybe even before. I don't keep up much with the general, honestly. But, um, but just so you know, that is the only elected office in the Salvation Army. Everyone else is appointed uh, but the general. So be in prayer as that will start, I believe, in May as they gather together to pray uh, for a new leader. Psalm 29, verse 11 says, The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Peace is something that we all talk about. Even the world talks about peace. You know, sometimes at, uh, at Christmas, I'll see on, it might be Starbucks or McDonald's, their coffee cups will have the word peace. And I often wonder, do they even know what, what they're talking about? What is peace? Uh, all of us, all we have to do is turn on the TV and we see the opposite of peace. Or look at your phone, look at your favorite news app. Any night of the week or any day at this point, you will see that we are not living in a world of peace. We live in a world full of turmoil. Now that's not new. That's not new to our generation. That's not new to your parents' generation. That wasn't new to Moses' generation. Wars, struggles, strife, confrontation go all around in our world. We talk a lot about the war in Ukraine uh, and, and everything that has gone on over the last year, but there's wars all over the world that we don't even know about. 
But what Jesus is talking about when he mentions peace in John 14, 27 is not an end of war. It's not an end of worldly struggle. The peace that God gives is the peace of God because you have peace with God. You see, all the even Jesus said there will be wars and rumors of, of wars. I can't even say it right. Wars and rumors of wars. That's hard to say. The lack of peace within nations to the lack of peace between two people all reflects a lack of peace from within. You know, when Jesus talked about actions and, and, and words and intent, he says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? Well, if you go back to Romans chapter 8 and chapter 7, I'm not going to read chapter 7, but it's important because Romans 8 is, is a full reference to the work and ministry of the Spirit of God. And it comes right after Paul's description of the intense battle with the flesh that we fight in Romans 7, 14 through 24. Paul's expression of the victory he achieved in Romans 8 over the struggle he was experiencing in Romans 7 should lead us to one conclusion. You can't fix the flesh with the flesh. Paul tried, but he failed. Only when he learned to walk in the Spirit, that is, to live life under the Spirit's power, was he lifted above the debilitating pull of sin. When we yield to God's truth, when we rely on His Spirit to make that truth work in our lives, it is like putting helium in a balloon. It lifts us up to a higher level of victory than we can experience on our own. That is actually uh, Dr. Tony Evans who wrote that, not me. All right? So we can live by our flesh and it will be hostile. We will have wars on the outside with people because we are warring on the inside. And Jesus was absolutely correct. What, what you get on the outside started on the inside. If you know, it's, it's like uh, you, if, you, if you bump into somebody with a cup of coffee, that coffee is going to spill out. Well, if somebody bumps you long enough, whatever's in you is going to come out. It could be hostile, it could be anger, or it could be peace. And when Jesus gives this interesting insight into what true peace is in John 14, 27, when he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, Jesus clearly distinguishes the kind of peace he is giving with the kind of peace that the world speaks of. Could it be that he's really saying that the peace that some people pass off for true peace is not peace at all? In Ezekiel 13 verse 10, God said through the prophet that some have misled my people by saying peace when there is no peace. When we speak of peace, we need to have a clear understanding of what true peace really is. When I was 12, 11, 12, I think that's when the Gulf War happened, there were signs everywhere that said, peace in the Middle East. There has never once been peace in the Middle East. There never will be peace until the Prince of Peace comes back. You see, the world says, oh, we want peace. In fact, we've, we've even had in our own history uh, people who would have, you know, 
peace, uh, protests for peace, okay? Demonstrations for peace. Nothing wrong with that. But, the, but what we have to get through our minds and in our hearts is Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus was not an optimist. He was not a pessimist. He was, very, he was very much a realist. He said, look, it's going to be rough here. Okay? I always, I always joke with my officer friends and, and I always say, you know, what, what was your commissioning like? What did the commissioner tell you? You were going to go and go win the world for Jesus. And you're, you know what Jesus said to his lieutenants? Behold, I send you out like sheep amidst the wolves. Have a nice day. That's not what I was told. Jesus was very real about who he was and is, and he was also very real about what this world is like. He even said, don't be uh, alarmed when people hate you. They hated me long before they hated you. You see, one of the definitions that the world uses for peace is simply peace is the absence of conflict. Well, that's never been in this world, in this world that since the fall. As Christians, we must be concerned with more than simply the lack of conflict. Peace is not merely an absence of conflict. When the outward conflict dies down, then the inner conflict begins to come to the surface. The real need for humans, the real need for every person, no matter if we're talking about people in Jamaica or Japan or North Carolina, right? We need more than the absence of physical conflict. We need more than the absence of physical conflict in the world around us because true inner peace is a peace with God. I think it was one of Billy Graham's first books actually titled The Peace of God. And it was very much just the idea that you, will, you and I can never have the peace of God until we have peace with God. So there is that perversion of peace that the world says, this is what peace really is. And Jesus says, no, it's not. The peace that I give you is on the inside. Yes, everything else around you could be just total chaos. And maybe it is. And yet on the inside, you have peace. You know what that is? It really is. What an amazing song. Because when my wife put in the program, it is well, I thought it was the old Horatio Gates song. And I just thought, man, that's a great song to say. You know what? True peace with God is when everything else around you may be falling apart and you say it is well. Makes no sense to the world, by the way. So there is that perversion of peace where the world says, oh, we need peace. There's not real peace. But God gives us the provision of peace. We need a provision of peace. Why? Because we can't make peace on our own. Thankfully, the good news is we have provision for peace. The provision of peace is God, who is the source of true peace. That's why Jesus says, I will leave you peace. He says, I will leave you peace. I leave with you my peace I give to you. You can't give someone something you don't have. And so he's, he's saying, I am peace. I can give you the peace that, that you really need, that you really crave, Isaiah 26, verse 3, we read, The steadfast of mine thou wilt keep in perfect peace, 
because he trusts in thee. This morning, the, the true question is, who do you trust? The real key to peace is trusting in God. Doesn't that just sound so easy? You know, we, we all say that to each other, just, just trust in God. What does trust mean, though? Trust is an action. And when we're talking about our relationship to God, it, it's, it's not a, as we would say, well, I hope it doesn't rain today. Trust is, I will trust, I will rely, but I will also obey. And we lose that sometimes. We lose that connection. We can trust God because he is the true source of peace. And when we trust him, when we obey him, <coughs> excuse me, when we do that, we can experience what you might call the peace of God. Do you know, even as believers, when we have sin in our life and we know we're not doing as we should, you know one of the first things we lose? It's not your salvation. It's peace. You lose your peace with God when you're not living as you should. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because it's letting you know and letting me know, I'm not on the right... Me and the Lord ain't, as my grandmother would say, we ain't jiving. We're not seeing eye to eye. So guess who's wrong? It's not God, right? And so sometimes, even as a believer, God will, will begin to allow anxiety, allow stress, allow some things to say, hey, don't you realize that there's some things you're doing that's not right or your, some, some of your thoughts are not right? You're not living by the Spirit as you should. So we, we have to confess our sins and we have to get back on track. And then we, we realize, I have that peace with God. You see... Our circumstances change. They can change in an instant. Our relationships with others change. But if our peace depends on all these things, we have no peace. You know, it's interesting. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. As you know, there's a difference between a peacekeeper and a peacemaker. Some of you have been told to be peacekeepers, which means that you run from conflict. You do everything you can to keep the peace. But here's the sad part of that. When you do that, you have no peace in here. We have a gun that's called a peacemaker, and it keeps the peace. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying go out and shoot someone. Don't hear me say that. I didn't say that. If I have to testify in court one day, I didn't say that. Okay? What I'm saying is, though, sometimes God allows conflict so that we can bring peace into a situation. Here's, an, here's, here's another crazy thing about Scripture. Jesus said, I, I can give you peace, but then he also said, don't think I came to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. When you align yourself with God, you automatically, okay, you automatically fall out with some people. And you're going to have to be okay with that. 
You're going to have to be all right with that. If your peace depends on your relationships and circumstances, you're in trouble. But if your peace depends on the unchangeable God, then things can be coming apart all around you. People may not like you. You can have conflict everywhere, and yet you will still have inner peace. It is the peace that surpasses understanding. You can't explain it. Psalm 4.8 was written by a man who knew what it was to experience conflict for most of David's life. Either he had King Saul after him, he even had his own son after him. For someone who was seen as handsome and ruddy and strong and, you know, he was a lover and a fighter, he always usually had someone he was running away from. He experienced hostility even towards himself. He was pursued, hounded by King Saul, enemies all around, and yet in verse in Psalm 4, verse 8, he writes, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for thou alone, O Lord, dost make me to dwell in safety. You know, I love this, because when you're at peace, you can take a nap, and nobody can say a word. David writes in Psalm 29, verse 11, The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. We still struggle with the idea that blessing is tangible. It's what I can get my hands on. But real, real blessing is when you have peace in your heart. Doesn't mean, and it's not some idea of us living above the clouds and thinking nothing bad is happening. Jesus is full well said to his disciples, "You know there's trouble. Nobody's saying there's not." but I have something that the world can't give you, and that is true peace. David understood that it is the Lord who gives strength. He recognized his own inability, and by doing so, he recognized God's all-sufficiency. David knew something that the people around him did not know. He knew God could and would take care of him. That's trust. Maybe he learned it when he fought the lion when he was tending his father's sheep. You know, I, th I really think that David, God was, was already working in David's life when he was a shepherd because he was leading. He was leading sheep. If, you've had, if you try to get people to do anything, it's no different. Maybe it's like herding cats. But David was put in that position early in life and he learned those lessons. He had courage. You know, sometimes you pray for courage and God answers that by giving you a need to be courageous. Sometimes we say, Lord, make me brave and then God says, okay, I've given you a reason to be brave. Oh no, Lord, I don't I want that. I don't want trouble. Well, you don't know what real peace is until you're in the midst of trouble. We not only have peace from God and peace with God, there is also the peace of God. And before we begin to trust in God, our inner conflict causes us to be in conflict with God. We, we know it's true, we hate to say it, but before Christ, we were enemies of God. But the gospel is, Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. The source of peace is God himself. In other words, the war is over. Do you know when you go back to Genesis and we read the great Sunday school flanagraph story of Noah's Ark, and we love to talk about the rainbow in the sky, and oh, that's God's promise of never destroying the earth by water. It is, but you know what else? Here's what we miss in that. Most Bibles say bow. He put his bow in the sky. That is a war term saying the, the fight is over. Okay, he's, he's made peace. And then when we look at the cross of Christ, we cannot have peace with God until we embrace what Jesus did on the cross. Because that's when the true war had been won. When Jesus said, it is finished, he was literally saying, all debts have been paid. It was actually a financial term. Tetelestai is what you would say in the Greek. Tetelestai simply means it's paid. You see, there's something special about the peace of God. And according to Philippians, it says that it surpasses all comprehension. And that, and that peace that you can't understand also guards your hearts and your minds. Let's talk about that for just a second. You see, going back to Romans 8, 5, and 7, if our mind, if our minds are set on wrong things, this is what happens. Wherever your mind is set, that's where your feet follow. Your mind, if set on the wrong things, your feet will automatically go the wrong way. Setting your mind is like choosing either AM or FM. Now here's the thing. You can't listen to AM and FM frequencies on the same device. You have two different channels, and just like spiritually, you got two channels. You can go what leads to death, or you can go to what leads to life and peace. The Spirit of God is like an engine in a car that can take us where God wants us to go. Too many of us are trying to push the car of life around when God wants to let the engine do the work. You see, really, it's very liberating to hear that God does this for us. He just says, get in the car, and I'll do, I'll do the driving. You, you remember those uh, little tags that says, God is my co-pilot? That is the worst theology that you could have. Because what you're saying is, me and God control this. And if you hear laughter, it's God. You don't control anything. Either God is the pilot, and some of that strife in life is us saying, no, Lord, I want to turn this way. And he says, no, we're turning the other way. And, and you're turning the way God wants you the whole time you're trying to turn. Any of you, raise your hand, any of you remember life without power steering? That was rough. Everybody had biceps back in those days. I remember learning how to drive a car, and man, you would just, it took everything you had to turn. You see, that's what life is like when you don't let God rule your heart. Strife. You know, peace is also listed as a fruit of the Spirit. In other words, it is an automatic 
resource that we have because of our relationship with Christ by His Spirit. The first and, and most important way it comes is by trusting God. Now, we, we've already looked in Isaiah 26, verse 3, the steadfast of mind. There it goes again. You know, we talk so much about Jesus uh, coming into your heart. Really, He needs to be in your mind. Because it's the mind out of the, out of the overflow of the heart and the mind. And by the way, to a Jew, when you said the heart, you were talking about the mind. You were, you were talking about the, that, that inner, uh, inner computer that controls everything. So when we say heart, you know, it's really the mind. Remember the, all the uh, things that Paul wrote down about, uh, he, he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, the, the uh, shoes uh, of peace. But when he talks about salvation, he doesn't talk about the heart. He, calls, he says the helmet of salvation. Protect your head. Better yet, protect what goes in it. Proverbs says, whatever a man thinketh, so is he. So what happens, what, what is the one result of keeping your mind on, on God and developing a, a close relationship? It's trusting Him, which automatically brings peace. The basis for our peace with God is not merely that we are thinking about the Lord. It's that we are trusting in Him. The reason we keep our mind steadfastly focused on Him is because, again, he, we know he's got it all under control. He's sovereign. You see, you can't have luck and sovereignty. If you believe in luck, you don't believe in the sovereignty of God. My first appointment, I share my first appointment uh, with Robbie and Tyann Davis. And I'll never forget my 20-year-old self picking up the phone, couldn't wait to call, find out where I was headed. And I was smart, and I bought me a map of North Carolina. Well, I start looking on that map for this core called Little Creek. And I keep looking and looking and looking, and I don't see no Little Creek. And I'll never forget, Robbie just laughed as hard as he could on the phone. He said, oh, where you're going it ain't on the map. <laughs> and he was right. But what's interesting is he said to me, you live between luck and trust. And there sure enough is a little community called Trust and Luck in my little double-wide trailer set right in the middle. I've thought about luck and trust in the last 21 years of my life. And I'll say, most Christians like to live between luck and trust. But you've got to pick one. If you're living on luck, you're in trouble. You see, luck is just throw... If you think you can throw a 52 cards up in the air and they're all going to come down together, that's not luck. You're insane. But that's what you're thinking. You're lucky. Or you can believe in the sovereignty of God. The reason we keep our mind, the reason, let, me, let me say it this way, the reason we don't lose our mind is because we know He's got it all under control. Implied in our trusting Him is the aspect of us communing with Him. If we are in communion with Him, that means we're praying, 
We're listening to him. We're seeking his will. We're not living between luck and trust. We're living our lives through trust. Both prayer and praise are aspects of this communion with God. Philippians 4, 4 and 7 say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You have a choice. I have a choice. We can worry about everything or we can pray about everything. And if you're trusting God, when you're tempted to worry, you will pray. This is precisely the blessing God promises in this verse. What is anxiety? It's really fear. Peace frees us from anxiety and fear. Anytime we get those thoughts, and believe me, I have shared this openly with people. I deal with anxiety. I take medicine for it. That's how bad it is. And then I find out, well, it runs in my family. So I have great DNA when it comes to anxiety and depression. But I'll say this too, when you're tempted to live that way, pray. When you're tempted to think everything is off and nothing's going right, pray. Because what's going on? Your mind is beginning to drift. Paul is saying here, keep your mind <coughs> focused on God. That doesn't mean that they're in chaos and turmoil. But remember what Jesus said. Peace I leave with you, let not your heart be troubled. May I say, let not your heart be anxious, nor let it be fearful. The world can't give you peace, we already know that, we're not dumb. The idea of, of absence of outwardly conflict really doesn't exist in today's world. But what this view of peace fails to recognize is that until inner conflict is dealt with, until we submit to God, there is no real peace. And so this morning I would just say to you, have you dealt with those things in your life that you haven't told anyone about, but yet you lose sleep over? Are there things that you are refusing to release to God that are keeping you from trusting him wholeheartedly. You see, the truth is, if we could be very honest, we probably all are. There's some issue, there's some person, there's some event, there's something that we say, Lord, I, if I give this to you, I, I, I don't know what could happen. You're right. But God is saying, but I do know. I've known all along. God wants to bless you with peace. You know, if I was standing here saying God wants to bless you with a million dollars, there wouldn't be enough seats. But you can't buy peace with all the money in the world. This is only something God can give you. This is only something that he is really the only one that can offer it to you. We're going to sing together the song that I made mention, song number 741. It's, two, it's uh, tune number 704. 
And it says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. You know, this is not, again, this idea of pie in the sky. I'm just not going to pay attention to trouble. God never says that. But what he's saying is we can live in a real world with real people, real issues, and still be able to say it is well. So we're going to sing the first verse, and then we'll sing the second. And I would invite you to come and pray. Uh, We all need peace, but we can only get it from God as we sing this song together. second verse this is the world we're living in though satan should buffet though trials should come let this blessed assurance control that christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul you know what we're all helpless we all have trials satan is constantly tempting you or discouraging you and yet our peace is found and that Christ has already helped our helpless estate, and that he shed his blood for us. That's why on the cross he said, it's finished. My work is done. Now all we have to do is accept that work, and we will receive his peace. Let's sing together on that second verse.